The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. We've got another interesting one today. We're catching up with Renanscore. Code is RNU, trading at 23 cents for a market cap of about 495 million, which is uh, at least double, if not more than that, uh, from levels of a year ago. And why is that? Well, the company is pursuing a vertically integrated graphite project in South Australia. Base of it all is the Sivior graphite deposit over on the Air Peninsula. And then uh, the plan is to go into battery anode material manufacturing across at Port Adelaide, I think it is. So it's an interesting value-add story, something we don't often see in the resources space because roughly speaking, you can uh, you get about $800 a tonne for graphite concentrates. And if you ship that off, well, that's the end of the story. But if you are upgraded into purified spherical graphite, at currently you're getting somewhere between three and a half and $3,800. So good to see. We've finally got a value-added project in the resources space. And to fill us in on the company's story, we have the Managing Director, David Christensen, with us today. David, thanks for your time today. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Pleasure to be here. Now, David, I mentioned that it, it all starts, of course, from the, the resource you have, Civior. Just fill us in a bit uh, about the scale of that deposit and quality and what the, uh, the development timeline to get it in production then move that material across to your spherical graphite plant. Yeah, so in terms of uh, the scale of the resource, Sivir is uh, one of the largest uh, undeveloped resources in the world. We have a, a total resource of uh, nearly 90 million tons uh, for 6.6 million contained tons of graphite. And on a reserve basis, uh, the total reserve is uh, 3.8 million tons of contained graphite. And if you put that in context of an operation that's going to be producing sort of 60,000 or 120,000 in sort of a second stage or 150,000 tons per annum of, of graphite concentrate material, um, 3.8 million contained ton of graphite is, is quite sizable. Um, so on a global scale, Severe is the second largest uh, proven reserve uh, globally, and it's the largest reserve outside of Africa. So it, it, really, our, our entire strategy is, is is based on taking what looks like uh, a tier one uh, asset and leveraging off the potential advantage of being able to produce graphite concentrate, uh, a high quality concentrate at particularly low cost, and then moving into the downstream, uh, as you were suggesting. So obviously your downstream ambitions are not resource constrained. So let's focus on those. Um, where would you likely build the plant? What would be the scale of it? And uh, just run through that value up- uplift I hinted at in the introduction. Right. So you can produce a graphite concentrate, as you suggested. And if you produce that material, you'll sell it depending on the flake size of anywhere between $600 or $1,500 per tonne. Now, if you do the value added, you can produce a product that goes directly into the battery sector, and, and you're selling that currently for about uh, $3,500 to $4,000 per ton. But the real excitement, I think, about doing this is graphite, notwithstanding its nominal 
characterization as a battery mineral is is transitioning into being a battery mineral. Uh, only about 20 to 25% of all graphite that's produced goes into the battery sector. But if you move one step further and you do the downstream uh, purified spherical graphite, as we're planning to do, 100% of that goes into the, the downstream sector. And so what you're looking at then is you're really looking not only at a higher value added uh, product, but you're into the high growth area where we're projecting growth rates of over uh, 25 to 30 percent in the demand for purified spherical graphite. And at, at that rate, you would need about 90 projects of our size by the end of the decade to meet demand. So it, it, it's really the high growth area. So the, the advantage of going downstream is obviously it captures a higher margin. But the added advantage is, is, is you're growing into the high growth rate. And that's certainly what we want to do because we think we can capture more value and, and really sell into that high growth area where the demand is not only growing, but it's growing really at astronomical rates. For those who may not know, must admit I'm not really across it, what do you do to uh, concentrate to uh, produce spherical graphite for the anode side of the battery? Right, so you start with what you produce at the mine site, so a graphite concentrate that'll grade somewhere around 95%. It'll be in a very fine flake form, and there's a two-step process to prepare it for anode makers. The first one is a micronization spherinization, where you effectively grind it into micro-sized spheres, very small spheres, so you could pack it into an anode cell. That's the first step. So it's a, an attrition step, a milling step. Uh, the second step is a purification where you're taking that 95% product and you upgrade it to, to nearly 100%. So the, the battery specs are about 99.95, uh, but then there are impurities you need to get out. So uh, you effectively are getting it to near 100%. Uh, and, and our process is a low temperature caustic roast followed by a multi-step leaching process. And then you wind up with uh, your battery grade graphite. Right. So in your process, you wouldn't be using hydrofluoric acid? Yeah. And look, that's that's one of the key differences, I think, of, of what we're looking to do and what the, the prevailing technology in China is hydrofluoric acid is is about as corrosive as you can get. We're using uh, either sulfuric or hydrochloric acid, which is uh, from an environmental perspective uh, much more benign. And it also, quite honestly, it's 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 a more economically efficient. Uh, if you're going to be operating in a environment like Australia, where we have very strict uh, environmental regulations, uh, handling. Uh, and moving hydrofluoric acid is quite difficult. We can do it with much more benign acids, and we've been able to repeatedly get to the battery grade. Uh, so from an ESG perspective, you know, obviously this is something we're talking about a lot. Uh, we think it is not only a more uh, economically efficient, but perhaps even more importantly, it's a, it's a cleaner environmental solution. In your early stage marketing, of, are you finding that uh, that ESG advantage is uh, starting to work in your favor? Are people actually knocking on the door saying we'd rather your stuff because you're not using hydrofluoric acid like the Chinese industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I think initially that was happening, but now we're, we're sort of into the brass tacks with the anode makers where we're talking quantity and price. And I think at this stage, they're much more focused on those economic parameters rather than the ESG. But it, it could be also because you know, we've always been very upfront about uh, how we're producing it. We're certainly aware that there are increasing uh, environmental regulations that are being now put on producers. But this is really one of the advantages of, of our project where 
in, in a country like Australia, environmental compliance isn't a choice. It's the requirement. Like we have a very long approvals process we go through that. I think it frustrates a lot of us who are within the mining space. But uh, the benefit of that is it gives the offtake partners a significant amount of security that what we're doing is well within uh, the standards that are going to be necessary for their customers. Uh, so we're seeing the car companies then push down to the battery companies, uh, all sorts of ESG compliance, compliance with the equator principles, but South Australia, and this would hold true for any jurisdiction within Australia, already has amongst the strictest environmental rules in the world. Um, so the, the, the thematic we, we see on ESG is one that's very prevalent in the financial markets. It's very prevalent with investors. Um, the anode makers themselves, uh, at this stage, I would say they're probably more focused on uh, security of supply. Um, and for that reason, uh, I think they've been attracted to us. Uh, but it's like it, it, it's like you suggested, the fact that we're using a process that is by uh, definition uh, more uh, clean environmentally than what the Chinese do. It's it, it's certainly a tick in our favor, and uh, indeed, I'm sure it's attracted a lot of them to to come and work with us. Which kind of uh, segues into the Chinese are obviously dominate the production of uh, anode materials, and by extension, they are the lowest cost. Can you compete with the Chinese cost base? Look, we'll never be able to compete with the lowest cost Chinese producers, but the dynamic in China is is actually turning on its head now, where the Chinese demand for anode material uh, and graphite, what we're producing, is growing faster than their ability to produce it themselves. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is we don't have to compete with all of them because they can't they can't meet their own demand. They have to look at it elsewhere. And we believe one of the real advantages of our project is we're going to be able to produce a graphite concentrate because of the scale and the geology of our deposit at, at a cost that's going to be uh, the lowest or amongst the lowest of any uh, graphite project outside of, Austra of, of China. Uh, and therefore, when we push it one step further downstream, we're simply taking that cost advantaging and shifting it downstream. So what we think we're going to be able to be is we're going to be able to be one of, if not the lowest cost producers of the, the midstream product purified spherical graphite outside of China. And because the Chinese themselves need more product, they've now come to us where uh, three or four years ago, we were talking to the, the, the large anode companies in China, and it didn't look like they had that large demand. Uh, now that's changing. So we're seeing the demand, of course, not only from the Chinese, but we're starting to see more demand merging from the ex-China producers who are now in Japan and, and South Korea. So, so generically, what's happening is, is the market is going faster than the ability for the producers to meet the demand, we think we're going to be able to produce at uh, amongst the lowest cost. And so that puts us, you know, in a, in a, in a really powerful competitive position to produce this product. Now, Dave, it's a very opaque market in terms of pricing. Investors just can't call up the price. Uh, that, that's changing, obviously. But uh, the company uh, helps everybody out. I see in your most recent quarterly report, those figures I've used earlier, the 40% increase in uh, purified spherical graphite up to 3,800 and 48% increase in concentrate prices up to 830 a tonne. We've had false dawn in uh, graphite back in, what, 2016, 2015. This time is different, this, this upwards uh, surge? Yeah, I, I, I think it is because 
graphite was probably the first of the so-called battery minerals to to leave the rank and it got a lot of interest in, and and i think what people figured out um was that that material really wasn't going into the battery sector it was going into the industrial markets for refractory foundries and largely for steel making and those businesses weren't growing at the same degree that the battery space was um and what we're seeing now is is a bit of a flip and the we, we think we're getting a preview of what's going to happen in graphite by looking at what's happened in the lithium sector where there's simply not enough material to meet demand and it's almost created a bit of a short squeeze um so i guess what we're seeing in graphite now is the price is starting to move uh finally in a in a really dramatic fashion and we think from an incentive point it only has to move uh sorry it, it only can go upward um but then the other thing we're seeing is more demand from the anode companies and uh there was you know, some false starts and sort of slowly moving to meet the demand but we're reaching the tipping point where there's there's going to be a a bottleneck in production if if more uh not just us but more graphite production can't get going and then be converted into anode material um and that's more of a function of, of not anything other than the move to electric vehicles where we're seeing that transition in big big numbers so we were looking at sort of you know things like uh large increases from a very small base you had existing stockpiles that could meet the material but now with more and more movement towards evs it's just uh reaching the tipping point where there's not enough material already there won't be enough material if you project out a couple of years uh and so what we're seeing now is the anode companies are finally uh coming to play and they're making investments in companies like us and others in the sector uh so i think that's a, a very strong sign that you know this one's for real this time and then you see the price the price goes up and that's because the uh you you simply need more material to meet the demand interesting we talked on the cathode side lithium and nickel and manganese and whatever we've seen as a very sexy space graphite seems to be getting its uh, sex appeal back now i was just wondering in in lithium in particular we've seen the finished product the lithium carbonate equivalent trading up to seventy thousand dollars a ton the base, uh, the raw material back here, spodumene, 6% lithium, trading at a fraction of that, increasing now. But I'm just wondering, is the same thing happening in uh, the graphite market where the, the actual base raw material, in this case uh, the, cons- uh, the graphite concentrate, is kind of lagging behind what the uh, battery anode makers are receiving for their product? Yeah, that that's not really happening in graphite, uh, and but that's largely because a function of the price reporting that we see. Because you, you have to, all of the midstream processing for purified spherical graphite comes out of China. So you, you don't have ASX and TSX companies who are uh, pounding their chest and saying how high the price is going. Instead, they're very opaque transactions that aren't traded publicly. Uh, the price reporting is all basically call arounds that the price reporting uh, companies do to uh, report on price. Uh, we are seeing more movement, actually, I think, in, in some of the flake graphite concentrate prices. They're moving up, whereas the purified spherical graphite reporting, uh, we're not seeing the degree of increases that we would have to expect. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is you need you know, roughly two tons of graphite concentrate for every one ton of purified spherical graphite you're producing. So you you would expect to see uh, an even more exaggerated impact in the long term on purified spherical graphite pricing. Um, but this is starting, right? I mean, we, we, we've seen some real movements where prices were sort of in the high twos six months ago, and now we're seeing the high threes. 
Um, so the, the, the train has definitely left the station, but like our view is there has to be significant movement on an incentive basis to push new companies, especially outside of China, into production. Um, but in the long term, I would expect to see exactly what you're seeing in uh, lithium on the refined product, which is just exaggerated uh, prices because there's not enough material. Uh, and what's what's been historically a, a buyer's market um, because of overcapacity uh, is being squeezed. Now there's over demand. And so you're going to see a flip and that invariably can only lead to an increase in the price of the finished product. Now, of course, we're talking about uh, the world's increasingly concerned about security of supply. And in, in this case, uh, when you're talking about battery materials, avail- availability of supply. And I guess that all kind of comes through in that $185 million loan uh, agreement or uh, MOU with the uh, Export Finance Australia, i.e. the Australian taxpayers. So strategic support there for the project? Yeah, and that was uh, that was a real boost for our project because it was a show of su- support from the Australian government in the project itself. Um, and I, I think one thing that we've always wanted to do is we wanted to capture more value here from Australian mining projects. Uh, but it's always been quite difficult because Almost by definition, we're far from international markets, Um, but then we have strict environmental laws. We're high labor cost, high energy cost, and in general, we're at a competitive disadvantage in producing the downstream product uh, and creating more value. Uh, And not only creating more value, but getting into uh, high growth uh, job markets and engineering and really allowing you to move down the supply stream and set up uh, a broader industrial base. What's unique, I think, about our project is at the graphite concentrate level, we can compete internationally because of the quality of the severe resource. Uh, The unique thing about this project is we actually become more competitive by moving downstream. Uh, And that's because the single largest uh, component cost of producing the raw, the, uh, the refined product is the raw material that goes into it. So we're sort of passing it downstream, but passing that cost savings downstream. But we become more competitive because if you look globally at the kinds of projects that seem to be able to compete with this deposit uh, based on scale and quality of the resource, tend to be in, in well, either in China or in countries like East Africa. And, and to date, I don't think people have wanted to make significant investments in the downstream uh, development there. Uh, but we're in the right kind of jurisdiction to to do a higher value added project, uh, low sovereign risk, secure industrial base, the kind of places where you want to do downstream. So this makes our project actually relatively unique, where it becomes more valuable by moving downstream. Uh, and I think we're we're hoping to be a bit of an example for the Australian mining sector in how you can leverage into a very good resource, uh, similar to what we're seeing with lithium in in Western Australia where you can, you can keep the value here. And I think that was, that was one of the main attractions, I think, to the Australian government in supporting ours. But then, like you say, it's within the critical mineral sector. So it opens us up to be able to produce this critical mineral for uh, not only our use, right, but for the critical mineral sector uh, globally, uh, whether that's South Korea or Japan or some of our key trading partners. So those two things in combination but it, it has to first start, I think, with the competitiveness 
Uh, and, and again, we're in sort of that unique position from a competitive because we're more competitive downstream. Uh, and then because it's in the critical mineral space, it's in the EUV, it, uh, I think it really hit the mark for the kind of projects that we want to see develop uh, here in Australia. Unfortunately, we're uh, coming to the end of uh, our time here, but if I could get you to give people a feel for uh, things, you've got lots of work streams going on, but if we can get to the nub of it all, FID, final investment decision and likely first production and what sort of rate are we looking at? Yeah, so look, I think we have a very busy period. As, as you mentioned, we completed a capital raising recently and that's going to allow us to be uh, quite aggressive about finishing up our technical work. Uh, that'll include an updated feasibility study that looks at expanded production, uh, both in an initial stage and expanded stage. Um, and then we're looking at getting our regulatory approvals uh, for the mine. We're expecting to get our final uh PEPA, our program for environmental protection and rehabilitation this year. Uh, and that'll be a major de-risking event. That'll follow into uh, a final investment decision, we believe. Uh, and that'll be coupled with converting some of the nine binding offtake agreements we have into binding. Uh, and then next year, we expect to be in construction. And that would put us into production in 2024. I know you've been working at it for a few years, but it's great to see it all uh, coming to a head. Uh, not far off now. So there we go, folks. A very interesting uh, value-add story, one we don't normally see in the Australian resources sector. Great news for South Australia, great news for Australia. So David, thanks for your time today and good luck with it all. We'll be watching with interest. Great. Thanks very much, Barry. It's been a pleasure. Cheers.